Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. We know that God is interested in everything you are and everything you do. In this financial literacy series, 90 and 10, we look beyond the tithe and the offering and focus 100% on the financial blessings God showers on His children. How do you make money? How do you manage it? How do you grow it? What are the best ways to invest? What can you do now to secure your financial future? Well, for answers to these questions and more, listen. Both my parents were traders. My father was a teacher, my mother was a midwife. But they both stopped their professions to go into business. My father was an importer and exporter and a cocoa farmer. And whenever he imported stuff, my mother would sell it in the Mokola market, distribute in the Mokola market. When I was a little girl, I used to go to the market with them. I didn't do a lot. I just like goofed around, looked at the rice and the flour and so on. If somebody was coming, my, my, the best thing I did was to show people the, the grains of rice because there was something they called chuku. You would uh, put it on the rice uh, bag like that for the rice to come out and show the people who buy. That's what I like to do. So somebody's coming to buy rice, I would run to go and show them the different grains for them to choose. That's what I did with my parents, my mother, when I went to visit her in Makola. And then from Makola, they, she went and got herself a shop, <laughs> which sold electrical items. <laughs> and by then, I, was, I had grown, so I would help her at the weekend. They had tally cards and books that they, they wrote their sales in. I, did, I had a job, a nine-to-five job, but I went to the shop on Saturdays to make sure that the tally cards were filled in properly from the sales that they had recorded in the book. Well, it, it was supposed to be uh, watching what was coming in and what was going out. But the, the, the boys were too smart for, for all of us. In, the, in, in that business, it's a lot of stealing, pilfering by the workers. They steal a lot from you, and you have to be really vigilant. Procuring goods were by import license in those days. In those days, the import license was given to the registered businesses according to grades, I think. Some people had just a briefcase, but they still got uh, import licenses. So you would buy their import license as well from them, and you would uh, go to the bank and open the LC and import the goods. Sometimes you got some 90-day credit and distributed to those other people to resell. That was their life until I was sent away to go and learn how to do business proper. My, my parents were colonialists. They, 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 they believed in uh, England. So after a while, they want to send you to UK to go and learn something. Right now, I, I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> but those days, they made you go to UK, go to college, and learn about business. The business school we went to was just a diploma school. Learned about LCs and report writing and stock taking and things that you have done a little of already before going to the 
business school. I was supposed to come home straight from there, but I debated a little, went to the US before coming. My I was the youngest of my parents' children, and they didn't encourage any of their older children to go into their business. They made them doctors, lawyers, and so on and so forth. But my father thought I was too headstrong. He said I was too headstrong. I will not be work. I will not be able to work with anybody. So I should come and do this work. I wasn't very keen on it, but after I stayed in the U.S. and the life there, I said, Why am I living in this place like this when I could go home and be on my own and do my own whilst I have to wake up and run in the snow and things and go and do somebody's work. Let me go home. So I came home. <laughs> I came home and my mother was so happy to just let the shop go. But she made me pay for it though. She said, you have other siblings and I do not know what they are going to do to you when I'm gone. So you have to pay for it. We have to make a document and you pay for the business and you have to change the name. Do not use my name. I thought it was odd anyway. So that's what we did. We changed the name and I paid a token to her and she handed over to me. So I was the one who was doing the importing and distributing and so on. I met some good people. I met some good people and I met some <laughs> not so good people. Apart from my, apart from the uh, trading, my mother was also supplying sand and stone and so on and so forth. So she thought that since she had done the sand and stone, I could go into contracting. So I, I tried <laughs> smiling. I went to, uh, I did the papers on, on her uh, trucks and tried to get some contracts. But everywhere I went, I was told, hmm, so do you want to go to lunch with me today? Hmm. And so I didn't get any contracts. I didn't get any contracts. I gave up. I told my mother, let's just stop this contract thing because it's not going to work. Then in, in my father was also a member of the um, Chamber of Commerce. He had not, although he had retired, because he was an old man even when I was born, although, <laughs> yes, uh, 21, number 21, um, 21 of his children, so you know that he was an old man. Mm. <laughs> He was retired, but he had re uh, maintained his membership with the Chamber of Commerce. So there was um, an invitation for um, traders to go to Romania and look at the goods. And so they asked him, and he said, I would go. And it was the men going, and this young man, young woman, I was 27 years old, made me go with them. When we got there, the chairman of the Chamber of Commerce said, um, there's no rooms for you. Your room is in my room. And I said, that was not what was agreed to in Accra. It was a long time ago. There was no phone or anything to call Accra and say that this is what has happened. But there was one of the businessmen, his name was Roxon. I think he was a manufacturer of razor blades or something. And he said, don't mind these people. We are going to look for a hotel for you, for you to stay there, young lady. So we found the hotel for me. It was the Hotel Chismiju. That was the name of the hotel. 
I am telling you, it was either cold in there or freezing, freezing cold or hot. And no in between. And I, Jesus Christ, what is this life? So when in the morning when I was picked up to go to the fair center that we were invited to, I told the men that this is what had happened. And the chairman said my, my, my bed, although it was in the, in the Intercontinental Hotel, was what the Romanians had booked for us. But this man did not allow me to sleep in the Intercontinental Hotel, and they took me to the Chismiju. So in our house, when we talk, when we say, hmm, what hotel are you going to stay to? Is it the Chismiju? <laughs> Meaning, are you going to be in there? <laughs> in some seedy hotel. What, whatever happened there, I still got some goods from Romania and made some connections and the stuff came in, distributed some fridges and cookers. The uh, workers from the Bank of Ghana, since my, my shop was not far from Bank of Ghana, a lot of the workers from the Bank of Ghana and Commercial Bank and from the courts, they would come and I would give them credit, although Ghana was not like that, but I was from a brochure. <laughs> so if you finished paying, you can come and collect your fridge and your so on. And then uh, times changed. The, the different coup d'etats came and uh, as you know, uh, soldiers will come into your shop and decide on the price you have to sell your goods. When they sell your things and your things are finished and the money you need to reorder is not there, then you have to do something else with your life. Because you can't sit in the empty shop. Anyway, I had uh, an, another avenue uh, for business where we had, we had this uh, property where we had a golf driving range and uh, my father-in-law and my husband had a golf driving range in Labad and so after the goods were sold from my shop and I didn't have enough money to go to do the reordering. I started to sell uh, meat pies and chicken, roast chicken, grilled chicken and, and, and meat pies to raise money again. The, the story I, ha I have is uh, very, very <laughs> long and deep. When I, I started to make notes to come here, every time I got to a place where it was difficult for me to remember the things that I'd been through, I got a headache for 24 hours. So there are things that I have blocked in my mind, areas in my mind that I have blocked. I do not allow the memories to come to the surface. And I was trying to get those things out, so I will put it on paper and come and share with you all. So one day when I got that headache, I told my daughter, it looks as if my, 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 my mind is not allowing me to bring those things to the fore. Because I, I was, <laughs> there are children here, so I'll, I'll keep some of the story away from them. Because I, after my husband's death and so on, I'll cut all of that, the, I, I went back into the shop. I stopped the business with the golf driving range and went back into the shop with the little money that my brother had given me and started the 
business again, but there was not enough money to import. So I bought from those people who brought from Nigeria and things like that. Until my children finished school. When they finished school, when they finished university, I finished paying for their university and all. And I said, well, we have to uh, expand my business now. So I started going to Dubai with a little money to shop and bring. And then going to Dubai, some, some and other people took me to Dubai. As a, a trader that trades with me took me to Dubai to, and showed me the ropes. You would think that uh, somebody who work, does the same work as you do will not do that. But they did because they're Christians. And when I said, I'd like to go to Dubai and see what is there, he said, okay, I'll go with you. So the, he took me, he's a Nigerian, who used to bring the goods to sell to us and took me to all the places where I could buy the goods. I, I initially went with only $10,000, the first trip. The second trip, almost $20,000. Within two years, I had $70,000 to go to China. Because the, some of the things in Dubai, I saw that they were bringing from China. So I decided I'll go to China. I saw an advertisement in the paper. This lady was organizing a trip to China. And I went to her. But she didn't get enough uh, people to go. She got only four. So she said she canceled the trip. But she can give me someone to take me. So somebody took me. And, but she had, she arranged for me to be invited to a fair, the lady here, she arranged for me to be invited to a fair, the Guangzhou fair. And at the fair, I looked around and I saw some of the things that I need to buy. I couldn't make in, uh, enough contact, so I sat, I went and sat at a computer and I put in a request that this is, I am from Ghana, I need these goods, so on and so forth. I got so many responses. And they asked me, where are you? I said, I'm here in, in your country. So people came and took me to their factories and so on and so forth. Some of the, some of the people who took me to their factories, the, they, they know some people here in Ghana that they trade with. So, I made my order. You're supposed to pay uh, a third of the uh, goods, and then when they arrive and you, you clear them from the port, you pay the difference. I, I had only $70,000, and I ordered some things more than my money. And I was hoping that when I come to Ghana, I would make it. But when the goods came, I didn't have that money. I prayed. Mm. What to do? I went to another person who is also a dealer and did, didn't even know me, didn't know me well. I went and spoke to him. I said, I've imported these goods and they are here now. They will go to demorage and uh, I don't have enough money to clear it. And he said, where, where did you import them from? I told him, China. He said, okay, I will take it out for you. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. <laughs> So he went with me to the port, port, the Tema port, took the goods out, took it to his own warehouse. Took, took the, his, first he said, so you got a 20 foot, I said, no, 40 foot, I said, oh, I want them. <laughs> <laughs> you went once and you ordered 40 foot instead of 20 foot. Hmm. Anyway, so he took the goods to his warehouse and stored them for me. In two weeks, I had sold my goods, paid it off. Even the, the manufacturers were so shocked. Said, How did you do it? I said, I don't know, but before 
we started to go to China. We prayed for days and months every day. We got a second shop inside the place where the distributors were. And when we got the shop, we anointed the shop every day. We go there. We, don't, we didn't have anything there. We just go and pray. Irma and I and a, a girl that I had taken as my daughter, the three of us, would go there and pray and pray and pray. And within two weeks, we had distributed our goods and paid our debt and made another order. In fact, the orders we were, we, our orders were coming so fast that other people in the business now started to block us. So, well, this woman just came. They amount him. <laughs> but I was trying to build a capital to do the redo the golf driving range because I wanted to do uh, housing development and uh, other things, mixed developments there, because it's a big site, uh, 47 acres, and I had plans to develop that. So I was trying to find money so that if I'm dealing with uh, somebody, I can do it, because whenever I had tried in the past, because I didn't have enough money, it didn't go forward. So, whilst uh, we were building our sales, our China good sales, we were putting the money together to do the development. We found some people from Canada to do the development with us, and we were able to raise the funds for it. Unfortunately for us, the fund manager met the Minister of Finance at a meeting in Washington. And he told, he asked them that there was a company in Ghana that they, 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 are, they are teamed up with that they are going to do this development. So will they support them? And the minister said, of course we will. And they exchanged uh, information. I didn't know that my money that I had fought for for years turned out to be a bilateral loan now. Now, Ghana government is holding the loan, going to unloan some for me. They are taking the majority and giving me a portion to do my project. <laughs> anyway, if they had given me all, I wouldn't have had the 15% which I had to come up with to do it. So they were giving me a bit of it. And I accepted it. Snit was coming in with me. I was still doing my trading and trying to do this um, development. After we've taken, we've, we've gone to uh, tender, we've chosen the contractor, everything. We've, we have had our money in place. Then, uh, Snits said, um, they cannot give us our cash, uh, uh, their equity because somebody said the land was not ours. But it turned out that it was just politics. Politicians said, this woman is not our friend. The politics are the, of the day, this woman is not our friend. If we allow her to go forward, she makes money. So, so they stopped, they stopped the project. I got sick, I got hypertension, so on and so forth. And my father-in-law told me, leave this project alone, because the way it has gone is improper. And we don't want to lose you as well because there's so few of us. So I stopped chasing it and I continued my trading, still putting money aside for the future development if, if and when it happens. 
then um, the governments they were going to Malaysia to do uh, business promotion. Somebody wrote to me or called me on the phone that I'm supposed to go with them. So I went with them. The plenty men, businessmen, and one businesswoman. The other woman in the group was from the Ministry of Finance. And then the president's wife and her um, woman in otherwise in the business uh, group, I was the only female. So when I was going, I told my, my lady who makes my clothes, please make me big, huge dresses. Dresses that when the men see me, they will see me like an elephant coming. Nobody is coming to harass me. <laughs> Tell me that, please, where is your room or what? <laughs> so, on that trip, I met a very good man, Mr. Henry Day. I didn't know him before. Although I had been working with Snit, I didn't know him before. So this is the first time that he got to know me. And he decided that when we come to Ghana, he's going to try and see how the project will. But it didn't. So I, I hope that very soon Ghana will stop this uh, politics and business. Should let business people do their business and leave the politics out. Anyway, so I decided that I'm not going to invite Snit to do, to come into any more of my endeavors. I got a, a partner from South Africa. And because of the uh, troubles and because of what had transpired in the past and, and, and didn't want to get sick, when he said, just leave everything to me in my naivety, I did. I gave him shares in the company. Hey, Charlie Obabalo. He never came. He would come to Ghana and bring me drawings. Big, big drawings. And then the money, he just didn't want to let the money go. I don't know what he was looking for, although he had other interests in Ghana. So I thought since he had been here, he's done some business here. So chances are he would do this. The reason was, his reason was that we had, the, the, the site on which we were going to do the project was a government lease. It's a government lease. And the lease had uh, run, and there was 20, 25 years more left on the lease. And he said that 25 years he couldn't raise the funding, so we should get uh, the lease renewed before he could raise the funding for the project. So we started to embark on the lease renewal. The lease renewal took about 10 years. Yes, because you went to Lands Commission, they said, um, if, but if we want to renew this lease for you, then you have to give me 16 acres. 16 acres, you mean, I mean, where did you get the figure from? You don't even say 10 or 5 or 2, but 16 acres. And he said, well, it's 46 acres, so if you give me 16, then, then, I, then we will renew it for you. And that was the then chairman of the Lands Commission. I didn't know what to tell him. I said, okay, I'll put in my application and see how it goes. But I hadn't promised him that I would give him the 16 acres, so I didn't get the renewal. He didn't, it took 10 years, it took 10 years for, for the renewal. By the time we got the renewal, <coughs> we got a, a strategic partner who, they were, they were a, a fund, private equity fund. And so they, we, we, we did the arrangements and agreements with them. It took four years, writing lawyers, their fees, and their hourly fees. It's crazy. It's $300 an hour. Lawyers charge you. Are there any lawyers here? <laughs>
So now we have a partner who has money and we have drawings, we have uh, everything. We started, we started to get permits. We got a permit to wall the property. Then they said, before you wall it, you need a hoarding permit. So okay, oh, so we should have gotten a hoarding permit before the permit for the wall. So let's get a hoarding permit. We went on our knees again, praying, praying, praying. And one day we got the permit. We did our hoarding and produced our drawings, gave them for permits. We needed a change of use permit because the lease was given for amusement. We needed a change of use permit. We got the change of use permit. I was sitting and the uh, engineer called me and said, Madam, have you gotten a letter from somewhere? I said, no, I don't have any letter. I said, oh, I just got a letter that I should hold on to your permits because somebody is interested in the property. They want to, they, we want to do something else with it. The, the Accra something something has decided that they want to use the site for something else. So don't give, continue with the permits. Meanwhile, before that, like the speaker last week, the politicians had asked me to sell them the land. I said no. They had asked me to come in agreement with them so that we partner. I said, I'm not averse to a partner, but it's taken me four years of negotiating to get here. Now, if I'm going to, we are going to change the agreement, are we going to take, is it going to take another four years before we get uh, a, a document we can work with? I'm old and I want to see this thing take off. So, because I said no to the buying and no to the partnering, they said, in that case, then we'll stop you. So this is the country. <laughs> but you have to live, strive to live, and pray, and work hard for you to get your 90-10, because <laughs> if, you, if you are not alive. <laughs> and I chose many years ago to live, live and also have a healthy brain, because without mental health, you can't work. If you if you have if you if you encounter many dark tragedies and stuff in your life, you have to make a conscious effort in addition to your prayer that I will live. Especially when you have children and you are a single parent. You are a single parent because your husband has died, has gone and been um, a crazy soldier and gotten himself executed. You have to choose to live. Live and have a good mental health for the sake of your children. That's the choice I made. I did, I got some tough times. Right now, we are at a place where we are still waiting for the people who are saying that we cannot go ahead with our development for the sword of God to strike them down. Because if you work towards something from a Mokala market, going to Dubai, it's hot too. It's hot walking in the sun because you walk from shop to shop. <laughs> from shop to shop and collect your goods and then you take them to uh, the shipper's place and you stand there for them to wrap them and label them and put them in the container before you come home and wait for it. And you sell and get your 
Some, some of the things, maybe you get like 10%, 20% on it, not a lot. And you are putting all these monies together to pay for lands commission uh, uh, charges, for renewal charges, and so on and so forth. And lawyers' fees, and do your hoarding. And then politicians say you can't go ahead when you have invested all your money. But this is not a sad story. No, it's not a sad story. It is a good story because in spite of the stumbling blocks that I, I encountered early in my life, apart from after my, after my Chismuju story and so on, and, and um, shop empty, coming back to the shop, life started again. I started my life again, and I, I, I had made my mind to live. And Mokala was good to me because I was able to take my children through school. I was able to take my children through school, through college. I paid the fees. I have a very interesting story. When my youngest daughter was about to graduate, they said they couldn't. She could not graduate if she owed the school. I was a little broke. I think I needed something like $7,000 only. And uh, I was broke. Those days, sometimes, the boxes in the shop were empty. The boxes, we, you put the boxes in the front, a few things in the boxes in the front, but the boxes in the back were all empty because we were paying fees in dollars. So I needed $7,000. Where am I going to get $7,000? I can't get a loan. I can't get anything. Even stand chart crap, you have their, their shares. They won't take the shares as collateral for a loan those days. I don't know if they do now. Then my lawyer calls me and says, oh, somebody wants a piece of land that you have somewhere for something. I said, oh, ooh, okay. Let me go and see. And once the person said, oh, I want to use that land over there for a short time, would you mind? I said, no, I'm not using it now, so you can use it. We made a deal, and he paid me $11,000 cash. I don't know where it came from. It just happened. It's got So I got the 7000 to pay for the fees for her to graduate and get her her uh, certificate so she can come home and go to the market with me. And that's, that's 11,000 I got. I gave the church my 10% per that time. And the 10% that I gave from that $11,000 that, hey, that, the way they chased me from the church, I to call me, invite me to here and there. Hey, I don't have the money to give her. This one, I came and prayed here. I was praying here and praying and praying. And I don't know where this obroni came from, but the, and the, the interesting part is that when I came back from her graduation, the obroni had died. Yes, he had died. He didn't die here in Ghana. He went home and died. And he has a daughter. So I called the daughter and said, oh, your father came and took this land from me for this business and he has paid for it. She said, oh, I've seen the documents. I said, so what are you going to do about it? I said, I'm not interested. So I got the money sent for me, for her to graduate. Interest. In, in, in my business, I have met a lot of people who would just do something for you for no reason. And, and, and like Ghana Sanyo, when I started to sell fridges, I went to Ghana Sanyo one day. I didn't know anybody there. And I said, um, I want to buy fridges to sell. And that day, no, they made the arrangement for me to buy the fridges to bring to Accra to sell. Because like I said, the, the small items, the boys steal them. So I decided to make the items bigger so they can't carry them away. 
<laughs> you can make money in Mokola. I mean, you have heard about the big business people who, Mokola money, you can, small, small. Sometimes two cities on one item, or 20 pesos on an item. By the time, at the end of the day, it's a lot of money. Take care of all your business and your family, and you can do your 90-10. So if there are any people here who are thinking about going to Mokola, it's not a bad place to do your business. You are thinking about going to Mokola. It's good. You are not going to Dubai or China or Turkey. <laughs> Just go to Mokola and sell the things, the small, small things. I, I, I used to do local sales. I go to Interplast and take their pipes and so on and redistribute and sell. Uh, local cable manufacturers um, from Reroyer, <coughs> Cable Metal, and um, Tropical Cables. I buy all their cables and resell. And it's not bad. I mean, the, the uh, profit margins, 10, 15%, but they are fast moving items, pipes and, and cables. Yeah, so my, 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 my mission here today is to encourage those people who are thinking about uh, Mokola trading, that it is not a bad thing. If you want to get your 100%, so you can have your 90, 10, and come and see uh, Prophet want to help you uh, invest it. I can give you some tips on, on, on how to navigate the Makola markets. These days you don't even need a shop. Those days you need the shops. But if you need a shop in Okanshi too, you can come and see me. <laughs> and so Nana Kofi wanted me to come and share with you my, my trading life. And I think that he said I'm, I'm supposed to speak for almost two hours. And I told him to, tell, to speak for two hours on my trading life means I have to tell you about my, the, the, my, the goods I buy, how I, sh how I containerize them, and so on and so forth. But that one, if, if you want to do it, you can come and talk to me. I can show you, I can show you some of the things that I know. I can tell you some of the things that I know in terms of how to buy the goods, in terms of the, uh, you have to know what the duty is on an item so that you know how to pack them into the container. Because if you don't, if, if you don't most times, the containers, if you're buying several goods into one container, choosing the goods will be according to the duties you have to pay and the weight. You have to check the weight of the item and the size so that you get uh, a lot of things in the container. You make your money back properly. Because if you don't do that, you just and say that, okay, so I'm going to buy bulbs, and you go and buy bulbs, one container of bulbs. It doesn't work like that. that. It will work, but not the way you want to make uh, plenty. You have to check the, the, the weight and the size of the boxes, how the things are packed, so that when it's packed in the container, you will get maximum of the things that have higher uh, value in, in, in profit. And ma the margins are higher. Otherwise, maybe you have only your um, pipes in there. So if it's only pipes. And the first time I went, nobody told me that this is how it is done. But the, the, the manufacturers did it themselves for us. Then later on, when I went to another part of China, because now I, I finished with Guangzhou, I went to Shanghai and other places. And you, there is where I learned about the 
where you need to um, buy the goods in terms of packing them and the duty and so on. Thank you very much for... Is it possible mm -hmm. to start up something You can start with little, very little, like 2,000 cities um, or less. You know, from 2,000 all the way to 10,000. So. I have seen people who have started with 2,000 cities. They went to Cantamanto to buy um, padlocks, padlocks and screws and things, and went from shop to shop selling them. They come to your shop, do you want some screws? They give you their screws, then come back uh, a few days later to collect their money and so on. I've seen people who started with 2,000 cities selling screws and padlocks and uh, cello tape and so on, and now they have their own shop. Mm. Yes. And, and in, in Makola, if you buy something from somebody and you pay, or you buy something from somebody and you don't pay, it spreads. Everybody gets to know you, that you won't pay, so you won't get credit. But if you are credit worthy, you go and collect some people's goods and you pay. People will always give you their goods. Some of the boys came, come to, when I'm uh, offloading goods, maybe the truck, the, the truck is in front of my shop offloading. The people going to work in the morning, because we start at 4 a.m., you know, offloading. Yes, when we're offloading, it's about 4 a.m. we go to, yeah, to start offloading. The trucks come from Tema and they are stopped somewhere in the day before. And then early morning, they come to the market. They have to come to the market before the market opens. So they come to the market and park, and then we start to offload with lights. So when people are going to work, they see that we have finished we are, we are uploading or finishing. So they see, they come, then known they start to come and start to order, make their orders. And some, some of the young men who will come and buy your goods, they won't pay. One young man came and bought plenty goods. He didn't pay for months. What's that? And, and I found out that he went and bought a car. <laughs> so I went to his shop and I said, young man, you either pay me my money or the following day, I went to Accra very early. Please, I'm a very hard woman. I went to Accra very early. When he was opening his shop, I was talking to him. What he didn't know was that I was holding a padlock. When he removed his padlock, I put my padlock there and locked it. I locked his shop. And I went, his friends and family came and paid me before I opened the shop for him. As for the young men, if they don't pay me and, and they see me coming, they run because if I catch you, I catch you with your pants like that. And I pull them and I keep pulling. And they, they don't fight me because I'm a woman. They don't fight me because I'm a woman. And they pay. So yes, you, 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 you can work in Mokola if you don't have money, but you have to pay back when you go and credit from somebody. If you don't pay and you get the, the people, you have a name, this one, you won't pay. See, I, I, I get contract sometime. I got one day, Ghana, this much. I bought all the colored bulbs in Ghana, Melcom, wherever, for decoration. I didn't have any money to pay the people I took from. People came from their houses on Saturday and Sunday and opened their shops and gave me their bulbs because the, the contractor needed the bulbs to finish decorating Accra for six March and they, hadn't, they didn't have any, they didn't order any. The contract was given very late and they, he gave it to me and I didn't know, I didn't have all the colors or everything. So I asked everybody who had, and I told the president, the president of the, of the electrical dealers, call the people, if you have color bulbs, go and, and give to Madame Candiso. She's, she has a contract. People got up from their homes and came and gave me their balls, and I gave it to the contractor. Because I knew the contractor would pay me, because I knew him, and I knew he would pay. So yes, you can go to Mokola with very little. 
credibility, good credibility, you, you can make it. I'm, as I'm, I was telling you that I got uh, this uh, container that I didn't have money, but somebody took it out for me and took it to his own, uh, own uh, warehouse and he brought me the goods in his own trucks. Yes, and he showed me how to uh, put the goods in my shop, how to pack it, how to count it, what to do every day when I go and look at my uh, warehouse, how I will know what, what is there and what is not there even if I don't have the paper to check. He showed me all of that because he has done it before and I hadn't done it. And he called me Ambantem, but I liked my name. <laughs> so yes, people will help you make your money in Mokola. It's not the, the, the story outside is that there's a lot of uh, um, infighting and so on. It's not like that. Even if they're all tomato sellers, they all help each other. When my mother was selling the flour and sugar and things in Mokola, where they were selling, everybody was selling the same thing, but they were all friends. And in Accra, where we sell our things, we are all this, everybody wants to make their own sales. Sometimes somebody will undermine you, sometimes. But in the past, not too, not too long ago, if somebody else, if somebody who was buying from you went to somebody else's shop, they ask, what have you done there that you are coming here? What did you do there? Mm -hmm. Then they will call you and say, ah, your customer is here. What happened? Did they take your goods and didn't pay? One day, uh, somebody brought a check to my shop to buy a lot of things. The check was a, a draft. When the draft came, I wasn't there. They called me and I said, take the draft to the bank. Ask the bank to ascertain whether it's a good check, then you can take it and give them the goods. So they accepted the drafts. The bank said it was good and they gave them the goods. 30 minutes later, after the goods had left the shop, somebody ran to the shop and said, hey, madam, when you uh, reduce your prices, you didn't tell us, and your goods is on the park, oh, they are selling it. So the boys, the, the, when the people were selling the goods on the park, the boys who went to, they surrounded the goods and brought, brought the story to our shop that this is what is happening there at the park. The boys went to the park, the people were selling the goods. And so we stopped them. Why are you selling the goods that you came to buy with a check? The check which you gave us. No, no, it was a cloned check. We didn't know. But the bank had accepted it. Three days later, they called and said the check was no good. So if we were terrible to the people, other people who sell the same things, they would have bought our goods for Trokekpenje and we'll be in trouble. And it was plenty, it was a lot. So navigating in Mokola, you just have to be sincere. You have to be sincere and you'll be respected. And you can start with a little. So your question is, to what extent that does literacy have an effect on trading in Mokola? If you've been to school plenty, sometimes, <laughs> if you've been to school plenty, sometimes they call you book long, because sometimes it's a, a hindrance, sometimes. Not always. And if you haven't been to school at all too, it can be a hindrance. The thing is that um, the, the, the people in the market are raw, you know. So when you are highly educated and you, are, you, you mingle with them, you have to come down a little to their level sometimes. But if you stay there, you won't even know what is going on. That everything will happen around your head and you won't know. You won't know how to navigate with them, amongst them. You have to calm down a little. I went to the market always in my kaba and slit. I have, when I was, um, when my mother was 
When I was a young girl and I went to help my mother, I wore my jeans and so on and so forth. But when I started to do my own on my own, I was always in my cabin sleep, Charlie, what are you going up and down? I don't want anybody to come and say this one book long. But what the, your education does for you is that you understand the people who you are dealing with more than those who are not so educated. Sometimes you get a list from somebody and the list is so... You don't even know the English. Somebody says they want toma toma tomato something. Tomato something. The boys were, what is this tomato? So I looked and I said, I think he wants something automatic. What automatic? <laughs> and he said, yes, yes, automatic. He wants an automatic starter. And he has written tomato. <laughs> tomato something. They, they, they didn't know. Because, but, so you see that your education can help you understand uh, some things that others don't. And, and sometimes, if you are very highly educated, clearing your goods from the pots, you will have a hard time. <laughs> you will have a hard time. You have a hard time. And sometimes I send my girl Dede to go and clear my goods for me. Because sometimes the customs people, they want to, they will say they want samples. They want this. Sometimes they will remove everything from the 40-foot container down for no good reason. Because maybe you're spooking some bluffo. So you have a hard time. Just go there in your shorts and no coat and speak their language and you get your goods to come home, no wahala. And when you come home, come wear your coat. <laughs> yes. So, have I answered your question? Great. Please, did I answer your question? Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. No, they didn't say percentage. They said they wanted us to partner with them. No, they didn't. They didn't tell us what percentage they wanted. Were they ready to pay the equity for that participation? No, I don't think they were ready to uh, pay anything. I think they just wanted to be part of it. They just wanted to. No investment, but. No investment, but. Yes, no investment, but they are part of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have the good fortune of knowing a lot of the backstory that a lot of people here don't have. Mm. Um, my personal inspiration from watching you, and especially now that I'm an adult and also charting parenting and mm. trying to mm. take care of my children. The thing that I hold on to the most from your life is your choice to live. Mm -hmm. And I know you repeated it several times, mm -hmm. but you skip over why that is such a significant choice. Mm -hmm. Do you want to try to share why that is such a significant choice? Because I think, especially now that mental health is such a major mm -hmm. um, topic of conversation, mm -hmm. We're not addressing it enough in mm. many spaces. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that's, it's as simple as that, right? Making the choice to live mm -hmm. when you're sitting in darkness. Mm -hmm. Can you share some of that darkness so that people can understand how a choice to live is really impact, impactful? <sighs> <laughs> so, Emma, you want to know why? You want, you want me to, to elaborate a little bit on the reason, the choice to live? Okay. 
So my husband was a soldier and uh, he was um, executed for committing murder. And um, six months later, my daughter drowned in the swimming pool in our house. And I was broken. And I didn't know because the, uh, my husband's death, that one is the law. I don't know. Uh, those days and the tribunals and so on, it was not an easy thing for me going out into the public. People point their fingers at you and so on and so forth. A friend of mine, a classmate of mine, lived across from me. She never came to my house to say anything when she knew my husband was dead, my daughter was dead. She didn't say anything to me. One day she was passing, she saw me in the yard playing with my other daughters. She said, oh, now, nah. I said, sit down, who me say to her? She was so shocked, she sat there. I said, what? I said, hey. You are my friend. I've been to your house many times. I live here, and you live there, just across the street. You have never come here to say, oh, to your turn. Never. So why should you say, oh, not to me? Don't owe me. Just go on your way. So this is how I defended myself and kept myself from losing my mind. I did not allow people to make me feel sorry for myself. When I came to live here in Laboni, the um, Laboni ba Baptist Church had just started and uh, Pastor Holbrook and his people came to the, visit us in the house and invited us to come and join them in church. I'm a Methodist, born a Methodist, always a Methodist. And when they came, we went to visit. The, the Sunday school was very good. So I decided, for the sake of the children, to stay there with them. And it was good that I joined them, because it was a safe place to be at that time. The Methodist church, I went there occasionally. But because I had been, they, they, I was their member, they knew my story. Now that I'm only 34 years old and a widow, of course. Uh, Madam, and so on. So I stopped going. <laughs> I stopped going to the Methodist church. I didn't go back. When my brother died and I went to see the Osofo, said, hey, charismatic. So then they called me charismatic, said, I've left them and going to charismatic. Yes, so, yes, tragedies, tragedy and, and tragedy. That is why I chose to live. Because sometimes I would get in the car. There was a time when I closed from uh, the market. I was supposed to come home. I've already taken my children from school and taken them home. I'm supposed to come home, but my car, I was driving towards Kolibu. Why am I going to uh, Kolibu when I don't live in Kolibu? I live in Laboni, and I'm going to Kolibu. I realized that my mind was not correct. So I found my way home anyway. I told a friend of mine, and she helped me. I'm sure most of you know her, Araba Sefadidi. Uh, she helped me, said, just concentrate on the things you need to do. The rest that you don't need to do, don't do them. And forget everything else. Just take one item and follow it every day. One, 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 and that's it. And that's what I did. And in doing that, I forgot a lot of things. So, so I was saying that I have selective amnesia. There's a lot that I've forgotten. There's a lot of detail that I don't remember. 
And in losing the, the lots of detail, I lost even some school days stuff. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And my accountant, he said, God is your pillar. Focus on God and do not think about any of the things that has happened in your life. Because if you do, if you sit there and think about them, you will not be able to raise the rest of your children. And you have those children to take care of. And so I made a conscious effort to make them um, confident, raise their girls to be confident girls. And I'm sure that they are both, the, the two girls that I have are very confident. And they make me proud that I made the choice to live for them. And and, and they, they used to see, uh, tease me because I, I used to sing, if it's about time, no, nim, nia, nim, my baby. Oh, and then they laugh at me and say, why are you singing this song? I said, I, say, I know what you, you have to, what you have, you need. So I'm the one who has to be strong for you. So why you made me say it, I've said something. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. We hope this sermon blessed you. If it did, will you consider sharing it with a friend? And if you're in Accra looking for a spirit-filled community to worship with, why don't you join us at Mikado Plaza, Aboni Junction, Accra, on Sundays from 9 to 10.30 a.m. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Accra Church and visit our website, accrachurch.org, for more sermons. God bless you.